the vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome. So glad you're joining us here today. You might be watching live on Facebook Live on my professional page or on Transformation Talk Radio. You might be listening live on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area or on TransformationTalkRadio.com or, of course, listening after the fact on podcasts or watching on YouTube. But wherever and whenever you're joining us from today, uh, you're going to be grateful you, you are joining us because we are going to be talking about how to tap into the power of the mind to shift your life, making your mind magnificent. But before I introduce our guest, I would like to say hello to the people behind the technology, Benny Mathers. Hello, Benny, KKNW. Hi, Christine. Did you survive the heat? I did. Uh, I don't know what your temperatures were, but they were about 107 by my house, Oof. and that was earlier in the week. I know. We made oh, national news. Our our guest is yeah. <laughs> taken back. We actually broke records uh, here in the Washington State area. And, yeah, I yeah. finally cooled down. took me a few days. Uh, the boys did amazing. They loved it. I don't know where they came from that, but they did. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's better than having complaining you know, twins. I mean, there were a little few moments, but I got through it to them on uh, going to the lake. So that that was good, too. Ah, there we go. Yeah. 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 And hello, Olivia TTR. Hello, Christine. Did you survive the heat, too? I sure did. You know, some of my plants out in the garden were having a hard time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Poor little guys. Yeah. That. Yeah. I know. I've got, I've got one of my flowering plants. It's like... What happened to it? You know, yeah, and I don't think I'm going to be able to revive it. Even even with healing energy, I don't think it's coming back to life. Um, and I want to thank Kyle, who's not on right now, but she works behind the scenes to get these wonderful guests. And I'm really excited about our guest today because he he lays things out in a way based on science, based on experience with clients, students, and based on his own personal experience about how to shift your mind to make it magnificent so that you can shift your life into a positive way. Um, after working in the hospital administration for 20 years, Stephen Campbell, our guest today, he acquired his master's degree in information technology uh, because he wanted to pursue his greatest love, which is teaching. He then became a professor, an author, an educational dean, and a professional speaker for another 30 years. Wow, he's, he's a great manifester. Since writing his third book, Making Your Mind Magnificent, Stephen has been conducting seminars around the world to enable his audiences to absolutely thrive in these unprecedented times. He does so by teaching and demonstrating how we can replace the negative messages that are in here with positive ones during our challenging times. He then shows how our brains can make these new messages a part of who we are. I would like to welcome our guest today, Stephen Campbell. Hi, Professor, Thank how you. are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. This is so special, so special. Wow. 
Wow. I, I love... I've been on your website and see what you do. It's just amazing. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very impressed with your book because, um, you know, I've read some of these books before about the, you know, the, the neurological connection and how to rewire things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a bit of a science nerd, but only in certain ways. It's mm-hmm. sometimes it's kind of like, you know, I just, I, I, I like to understand the higher level concepts without getting into too much of the details, yeah, despite the fact that I used to deal with yeah. data. And you have done such a great job of presenting some of the science, but also laying it out in a way that's applicable, that we can, can you know, practice, that we can understand. Thank and you, so I really have appreciated your book, Making Your Mind Magnificent. Use the new brain science to transform your life and negative thinking, improve focus and clarity and be happier. Okay, so, you know, you've been working as a professor and you had written a couple of textbooks. What inspired you to write this book? Well, my undergraduate degree was in uh, zoology. I studied to be a physician at San Diego State University and then went on to junior year. I was in this horrible accident where a young man in an attempt to kill himself ran into my VW with his old JD8 and I ended up being in the hospital for about a year. Uh, the friend that I was driving home was killed and all my legs were broken, my face was broken, everything. And so as, as, as I was recovering, I began thinking about different ways of thinking because for many, many months I was in a spike of body cast and you can't do anything but look at the ceiling. And when they first put it on me, I said, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this because I had already been in traction for about three or four months. And as I lay there in the bed, looking at the ceiling, I said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I'd been studying cognitive psychology for a long time. When you say, I cannot do this, your brain says, yeah, you're right, because it believes everything you tell it. And I realized that I was giving myself some really destructive thoughts. So I said, I'm going to switch those thoughts. I'm not helpless. I can change what I'm saying, which we'll talk about. And so I began saying, all right. I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to go back to school eventually, who knows when. And I just believe something wonderful is going to happen out of all this. When? I have no idea. What's it going to be? Who knows? But that's what I locked on to, which we'll talk about in a second. Well, eventually I did get back to school and I graduated barely because a lot of things. And I ended up being a professional singer. And I traveled around the America for two years. It was on that tour that I met my wife. And that was 50 years ago. And I asked myself the question, is one year in a hospital worth 50 years with my wife? I'm surprised you even have to ask. So it happened when I changed what I was thinking, which is what we'll talk about. And I'm not going to use the word change. I want to replace that by the word replace. Whenever I talk about the brain, I never use the word change because the brain hates change. The brain doesn't want you to change. Its job is to keep you safe. And change always involves something different. Maybe it won't work out. It's scary. It's risky. So when you start saying to the brain, I'm going to change, the brain gets, ooh, let's not not do this. So what I do is I fool it. I say, okay, let's not use the word change. I'm going to replace some of the negative messages I've been giving myself. And the brain loves that because the brain hates change, but it loves to create new things. 
It's very mm -hmm. creative. I, so I love I, that distinction. It's 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 less about moving out of something into something new, but rather here's what's new. Here's what's getting right. creative. Here's what's new. And so I replaced my thinking with, I'm going to get out of this. Something wonderful is going to happen. And it did. And when I realized it worked, I began studying psychology for decades. And eventually I began using it in my classes. And the president of one particular university noticed that when students took my class at the very beginning, they would not drop out of the program. So he made this directive, everyone takes Mr. Campbell's career transitions course. And during the years when I taught it, the retention went up to like 93%, which is outlandishly high for any university. So yeah, that's incredible. I, saw, I saw the power of this. Then in 2008, my wife sat me down and she said, okay, honey, you're 61. Your dad died at 62. You're working 14 hours a day. If you die early, I'll kill you. <laughs> Okay, so I retired, but I went down to the nearest senior center and I said, you know what, I have this wonderful message. And they said, yes, we'd love to do this. We don't pay anything, that's fine. And I gave this message to senior centers, to all the senior centers in Sonoma County. And then people began paying me for it. Whoa. And then people began saying, where's your book, where's your book, where's your book? What book, don't you have a book? Well, I've written two college textbooks on computer science. No, 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 no. You have to write a book about this. Because when you say it, we love it, but we want to take it home and read about it. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the book, and the book sold like crazy. And now I find myself, well, I used to find myself traveling all over the Bay Area giving presentations. And now I do it on Zoom, just like this. And it's amazing. And then I found myself being asked to speak all over the world, India and other places. And I was blown away because the message that I give, which I'll share with you in a second, is so wonderful because it replaces the negative stuff we tell ourselves. And I think you already know this, Christine. And we'll start with Shad Helmstetter's book, What You Say When You Talk to Yourself. Most of the message that we give ourselves are negative, most of them, unfortunately. And it doesn't have to be that way. So let's talk about this a little bit. Let me share with you a couple of characteristics that are so wonderful. Number one, and this is the foundation of everything. Ready? I'll say it slowly. Your brain believes everything you tell it. Got question. <laughs> No How argument. frightening, Stephen. That's How scary. That's frightening because when we say, oh, I'm so stupid for doing that, your brain says, okay. But here's what we do, Christine. We lock onto that message. And you know what happened? In that particular area, we get kind of stupid. Okay? So that's the scary part. Here's the wonderful part. When we mess up, we can say, you know what? I messed up, but that doesn't mean I'm stupid. I just did a stupid thing. I'm really smart. And you know what the brain says to that? Oh, okay. Now, let's go to the next step. Ready? This is even, I get really excited about this. What if you're saying something that's not true? Did you know your brain doesn't even ask that question? Mm, yeah. Your brain doesn't even care. 
when I heard that in a psychology class down at UCSD, I was really skeptical. And we talked, I talked to the professor, Dr. V.S. Ramachandran, who wrote a book called Phantoms in the Brain. Phantoms refer to phantom limbs that have been amputated. Right. And a patient will go into a doctor's office, he'll say, gotta help me, I can't do a thing with my arm. And the doctor may say, well, that could be because I cut off that arm six months ago. And the patient says, you did not tell my brain that. My brain still thinks it's there. It wants to pick things up with it and wants to do things with it. And sometimes it gets itchy and achy. So the brain doesn't care what the, what you're saying is true or not. Now, let's make that into a couple of stories. Can we do that? You bet. Let's do that. I said to myself for 42 years, I'm really dumb in numbers. I'm dumb in math. I was convinced. And guess what? I was. But I discovered computers in the 70s and I began tinkering around and I said, this is really fun. So I went back to school and got my graduate degree in computer science and I began teaching computer classes. One day the dean came to my office. He said, one of our math professors just quit. So you are our new math professor. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, I, can't, I, I, I can't do numbers. He said, you want a job? Learn. There's the book next semester. Well, I needed the job, so I ran down to the Roner Park Library of all places, and I picked up all the books I could on brain-based learning, cognitive psychology, brain physiology, teaching the whole thing, and I based my course on brain-based learning. And students began saying to me, you are such a good math teacher. I love the way you teach it. And then the dean said, all the students say, I will only take math if Mr. Campbell's my professor. Here's what happened, Christine. I began listening to what those students were saying to me rather than what I had been saying to myself for 42 years, I'm really dumb. Here's the exciting part. The brain believes what you tell it. And so I locked onto that. And you know what happened next? And here's a new subject. The brain began rewiring itself. This is called neuroplasticity. Right. And before we get into neuroplasticity, let's talk a little bit about how that bit in cognitive psychology helped you to teach in a way to let young people or people who are taking the classes um, to understand math better. Because so many people, not just you, you know, up until that point, no. believe they can't do math. Can't and do I, math. You know, as a former math major, my undergraduate was in mathematics. I know that there is so much fear about math and mm -hmm. then of course statistics too. Um, and, and yet I've often had this deep knowingness that um, it's, it's something that we can learn. It's just, yes. we're not teaching it correctly. Yeah. 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 So the way I taught math is um, I looked at the brain and I said, okay, one of the main functions of the brain is to create patterns, to create um, what are called schemas, create self images. So when I would teach math, I would repeat it. I would say it slowly and we would go little parts at a time. That gives the brain the opportunity to create little what are called neural neural clusters right here under the prefrontal cortex on algebra, 
exponents, all the things that have to do with math, but little parts at a time to the point where they could do that and keep doing it over and over and over until they were comfortable with it. And then they get to the next point. Now, here's the important point. What I was doing was creating patterns of math. How many patterns can the brain carry? Well, those are based on the neural clusters. The neural clusters are based on how many connections they can be connected. So let's look at the connections. The brain has about 82 billion brain cells. Each of those are connected to an average of 10,000 other cells. Now, Christine, that's not a multiple, that's a power. Mm -hmm. So the number of connections which the brain can carry is 83 billion to the power of 10,000. That's 83 billion times 83 billion, 10,000 times. It's a number we cannot even fathom. Right. But what's so wonderful is that all of us have that capability. Now, does that mean that all of us will be great at math? Of course not. Mm -hmm. Some people just don't have that kind of thinking, but that's all right because they can do better than they're doing now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that I, everything will happen to me and I wrote the book. I just happened to be really smart in math, but it took me 42 years to finally say it to myself. Okay? Right. And, and, My, and one of the things I love about um, when you talk about the book, it's like, we need to put the, the, the various patterns and like have them repeated in different ways. And so one of the things I've intuitively known when I teach something is that I need to say it in different ways. Yes. Because it's kind of like um, different contexts put together create, it's like the, the, the sum is greater than the, I mean, the whole Absolutely. is greater than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. You and I are so incredibly different. You are wired very differently from me. But in some case, if I gave you a brain map, we'd all have the, the same places in the same parts of the brain. But our ability to learn and grow and change is beyond calculation. In fact, what I tell to students is I say to this, the primary element, Christine, that holds all of us back from learning and growing and changing, ready? is what we say to ourselves. Huh. Which, prime... is, which is, is a little scary because of how pre-programmed we've become with all yes. the negativity, but yes. it's also a very empowering thing. Yes, it really is. I felt I was done because for 42 years, I was told I was dumb. Mm -hmm. And then I began realizing, you know what? You're really not. So let me share with you how this how this can get stuck and how we can free ourselves from this. Okay. I ended up teaching math at the University of San Francisco and a student came to my office after the first day of class. She was very shy, sat down opposite me and she said, Mr. Campbell, I'm really glad you're my professor because I am a C student in math. How do you know, Sue? Because I've never gotten above a C in a math test. I said, well, Sue, believe it or not, I used to be like that too. So let's work together. So I did. We got her some mentors. She got an A in the first midterm. I'll never forget this, Christine. I gave her the test and she absolutely freaked out. She said, <gasps> and then she said, oh, Mr. Campbell, this is a mistake. Yeah. 
I said, what do you mean, Sue? She said, I have never gotten above a C in a math test. You must have graded it incorrectly. And I said, I didn't, Sue. This is a genuine A. So then she looked at it longer. I'll never forget this, Christine. And her face just lit up. And she said, do you know what this means? And of course, now I'm getting really excited. So I sit down and so I said, yes, Sue, but you tell me. What does this mean? This means, Mr. Campbell, that when I flunk the next test, I can still maintain my C. Mm -hmm. I, said, <laughs> I said, Sue, just get an A in every test. She said, oh, I can't. Why? What was her answer, Christine? I'm a C student. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. So I sat down next to her. I said, Sue, answer me this. What would have happened if you would flunk this test? Do you know what she said? You already know, Sue, without a moment's hesitation. What'd she say? Then I would I'd get an A in the next one. Right? the next test, right. Yeah. I said, Sue, just get an A in every test. She said, I can't. Why? Because I'm a C student. I've always been this way. This is the way I was raised. This is what I look like. This is how I think. This is where I failed. This is where I succeeded. This is where I am. We're now in the middle of COVID. Or, 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 ready? Christine, do you know when your old life ended? It ended one second ago. Mm -hmm. It ended it. So when did your new life begin? One second ago. Now do the math, 60 seconds per minute, 60 minutes per hour, 24 hours per day. In one 24 hour period, you and I, the world has 86,400 new opportunities for new life every single day. Mm. All we have to do is choose to take them. So Stephen, Tell us how this relates to neuroplasticity and why that's a, a good thing. Okay. Let's relate it to neuroplasticity and when we mess up. Because we all mess up every day. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What do we do? What do you do and how can we apply neuroplasticity to all of this? When we mess up, we say, oh my goodness, how could I have been so stupid? And our brain pops up and says, oh, I know. Remember that dumb thing you did yesterday? And that dumb thing you did a week ago, a month ago, a year ago? Yeah. And do you know what we do is we almost get a list. We get going down the list of all the dumb things we've ever done. Now, this is really important to understand. When you do that, your brain doesn't know that those memories happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. The brain's recording them again, but this time is that they're happening when? Right now. And then mm. you carry that stuff around. Yeah. So let's bring in neuroplasticity and let's learn what to do with that when we screw up, because we all do. Yeah. Number one. Throw away the list of all the dumb things you've ever done, because you're carrying that stuff around and you don't have to anymore. Mm. It's a decision that you make. So what do you do instead? And here's where the rewiring comes in. You use three wonderful words. 
You know what the words are? The next time, mm, yes. I'll do it this way. The next time, I'll do it that way. When you say the next time, you're saying three things. Number one, you're saying there is a next time. Uh -huh. We have as many next times as we want, billions and trillions and gazillions. That's wonderful. Number two, when you say the next time, you're saying, I will never, ever give up. Mm. Ever. Now the neuroplasticity comes in. Number three, when you say the next time, you're saying, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm also creating new ways of thinking, mm. new ways of seeing myself, new ways of creating new parts in my life. And just because I fail doesn't mean I'm a failure. Right. Do you know what Thomas Edison said? He said, he was asked by a New York reporter how it felt to fail 999 times looking for the filament of a light bulb. He said, right. I did not fail 999 times. I simply found 999 ways that didn't work. Yeah. Here's what happens. You say, okay, I'm opening up myself to new ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And you lock onto new ways. And when you do, your brain begins rewiring itself. So that the new ways of thinking not only become a part of mindset, they become a part of who you are. Mm, yeah, love that. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but when we return, let's chat more about some of the things, some of the concrete things we can do to replace the information that's, you know, the negative information that's in our minds. And, um, you know, talk about a little bit about age and and you know, if this is only for younger or middle-aged um, people. We'll talk about that in feelings, self-image. Stay, stay tuned for more with Stephen Campbell here in just a few moments. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. What does the word healing mean? Many think that healing merely means eliminating symptoms. However, based on my many years as a healer, I have a much broader perspective on the word. Healing can manifest in a variety of ways, including having physical problems resolved, becoming more emotionally centered, experiencing better relationships, gaining greater clarity, and feeling more spiritually connected. True healing always includes some level of transformation. Whatever form healing takes, there is one commonality, an improvement in quality of life. To me, the highest form of healing goes beyond aligning with wellness. It comes from recognizing our soul's voice and allowing it to speak through us. And in that sense, don't we all yearn to heal into our wholeness? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. When you lose a child, you find yourself part of a club that you never chose to join. There is a way to find meaning and joy in your life again. Jen Ripa has created a six-week sacred grief system, helping you let go of grief, heal with compassion, and understand what's available to you in the rest of your life. It can feel scary acknowledging that a part of you wants to move forward because you're not sure how to do it in a way that honors your child. The good news is that when you allow yourself to address your grief in a multi-sensory way, 
you can transition from sadness, regret, and hopelessness into a life that gives you peace, joy, and meaning. Jennifer understands with deep compassion how you're feeling because she's been there. For more information about the Sacred Grief Course, visit thriveology.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-O-L-O-G-I-E dot com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show here on KKNW AM 1150 in Seattle, Transformation Talk Radio around the world, and of course, Facebook Live, and up on my YouTube channel eventually. Um, Talking today with Professor Stephen Campbell. He is the author of Making Your Mind Magnificent. Now, Stephen, I I think that this concept of um, kind of replacing the negative negative chatter, the negative beliefs is, is a great one. Um, but many of us get stuck in our, like we have a certain perspective, we have a certain self image and we get stuck there. How do we transform something that is so integrated into our system? It's not just like one belief, like, Oh, about bad at math. And there's, there's a whole self image thing that, that is beneath that that needs to be addressed. Hold on to your seat. You ready? This is exciting. I'm going to correct one part of that. And you said the term self-image. It turns out that we don't have one self-image. We have millions of them. We have a self-image for every single thing that we do. Our abilities, our habits, our aptitudes. We have a self-image for everything. So for instance, you have a self-image and I do for every meal that you cook. So I cook really good scrambled eggs and horrible poached eggs. Okay. Use a lot of butter. What's the point? The point is if I have two self-images for just two meals that I cook, you can imagine how many self-images I have for all the stuff that I have and developed in the last 74 years. Okay. As well as you now. So let's look at our self-images because this gets into feelings. It turns out that our self-images Christine are learned. You were not born with them. Now let me let me put a codicil on this. All of us were born with certain natural dispositions. I was born a natural teacher. I've always been a teacher. I used to put rocks in my backyard and pretended I was teaching them when I was a kid. I was a weird kid. Okay. <laughs> I love my it. My wife, yeah. My wife is an educator. My daughter is a writer. They have these natural, natural abilities. So I'm not saying that. But our self-images are learned. Where do they come from? Ready? This is exciting. 
They come from our self-talk. Mm. Our self-images are coming from what we are saying to ourselves about ourselves, which means we are still changing them, replacing them, bringing new ones in because we are saying new things about ourselves all the time. Mm. Okay? So our self-images are created by what we are saying to ourselves about ourselves. So the self-image with Sue was, I am a C student in math. I had a self-image of being dumb in math, and it turns out that I'm not. Okay. Yeah. Let me share and, with you. And this I had story. a self I had a self-image that I couldn't do art. And although I had a good sense of color and you know a bit of a knack for decorating, I thought I can't do art. And then I started taking a couple of art classes like Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I have an artistic ability, you know. Yeah. Exciting. Let me yeah, share with you where your, where your self-image is coming from. The reason I did so terribly math, because during my math classes in elementary school, I sat there drawing dinosaurs. So let's imagine <laughs> it's a Saturday morning and I draw a T-Rex. And I take it to my sister, Shirley, who is five years older than I am. She has our, her pictures on the refrigerator. So in my eyes, she's the expert. I show her the picture. I say... I say, look, 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 see the see the T-Rex. She looks at it. She doesn't want her little brother bugging her because she's playing with her friends. And she says, oh, Stephen, this is so bad. You can't draw. Shirley has given me opinion. And I record that right up here in the prefrontal cortex saying, Shirley says, I can't draw. It's up there because I record it. Well, I go back to my room and this time I draw a triceratops and I take it to my sister Sally, who's only two years young, older than I am. She says the same thing, Steve, you can't draw. So now there's Sally and there's Shirley and what the brain does is it connects the two. It begins a pattern, I can't draw. Well, I'm gonna do this for my mom. So I go back to my room, take the bulletin board off my room and this time I draw a stegosaurus right on the wall with paints, crayons, plaster, the whole thing. I'm done, I'm so excited. I run down to the kitchen, come see, come see, come see. She opens up the door, she says, Steven, what have you done? You can't draw. What did she mean, Christine? You can't draw on the wall. On the wall, what did I hear? My mom says, I can't draw. So that gets recorded too. So now I have three things. I can't draw, I can't draw, I can't draw. That can be hard, but the next one is devastating. When I go to bed at night, that night, and think about the day, what do I say to myself over and over and over? I can't draw. Right. And the brain records that. Okay? So for the next, most of my life, I say, I can't draw. Now, let's be very careful. You said the same thing. But what you did is you went to college and learned how to draw. I could do that too if I wanted to. I just have no desire to. My passion is to become a better teacher. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if I did and I became a good artist, there would still be a self-image in my brain saying, I can't draw because I've, I've never had lobotomy. So be in there someplace. But right. what I've learned to do is not lock on to that I can't draw, lock mm -hmm. on to I can draw. Not as well as my son-in-law, 
who's a professional yeah. artist and a art director in Dublin, Ireland. Mm-hmm. I'll let him be the artist. My passion is to be a teacher. But there's that same old self-image, I can't draw, but I decide, I decide I'm not going to lock on to it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lock, which is what you did. Yeah, and, and for me, it was, I have really no desire to draw or paint things that look extremely realistic. Yes. And to me, that's what art was. And I realized, yes. oh, you can do abstracts, you can do mosaics, yeah. there, there's yeah. all these different things you can do that don't fit yeah. into that one category. And for me, yeah. it's just been something I've done on the side, but it's by breaking free of one belief system, replacing right. it one with a new one. A new self-image. It, it has actually um, made me less judgmental or less, yeah. how do I put this? I, I'm less apt to buy into some of the pre-programmed beliefs Mental that crap. come through about other things. Negative crap that we tell ourselves. Yeah. Right. Now, what I'd like to do now is talk about our feelings. Because mm-hmm. now I want to talk about the fact that all of us grow and we're all of us are getting older. And what sure. do you do with that? When you look in the mirror, you say, ooh, what's happened? What do you do with your feelings? Because I think you know this, Christine, we're not thinking people who feel. We're feeling people who think. Right. And we really are. So let's talk about our feelings. Let's look at the work. And he's not in my library. He's in the other room of Dr. Albert Ellis. In 1961, he wrote a book called The Guide to Rational Living. And this turned psychology on its ear. Because what Ellis pointed out, and psychology now agrees all over the world, is that our feelings, especially about ourselves, we're going to narrow it down to what we're feeling about ourselves. Our feelings are primarily coming not from how we were raised, not from what we look like, not from how old we are, Mm -hmm. not from events in our life. They're coming from what we believe about how we were raised Mm -hmm. and what we believe about how we look and events in our lives and what we've done. Now, people say to me, Steve, that sounds great, but I'm not really sure what I believe. And there's a wonderful handle. You know what the handle is? Look at yourself talk. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to what you are saying to yourself about how you were raised and what Mm -hmm. you look like and events in your life. That's what your feelings are coming from. So let me let me illustrate, Christine. Okay. Let's imagine. Oh, I'm, let's imagine that you and I have been friends for years. Our children grew together, and one Saturday morning, I show up at your house with a shovel. I say, "Hi, Christine. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good to see you. I'm going to dig a hole in your backyard." So I go to your backyard and start digging the hole, and you're watching me dig the hole, and you begin developing some beliefs, such as. Okay, Steve and I have been friends for years. Our children were raised together. They played together. Steve knows it's my birthday today. He also knows I love rose bushes. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's digging a hole in my backyard to plant a rose bush. Oh, Steve and I love you. Call Mary. Let's get over here. Let's have a birthday party. Okay, that's scenario number one. Right. 
Scenario number two is that for some reason, I absolutely hate you. And finally, I show up with a shovel on a Saturday morning. I say, hi, Christine, I'm going to dig a hole in your backyard. And without asking, I go to your backyard, I start digging this hole. This time, your beliefs are completely different. Your beliefs are, I'm digging the hole to bury you in it. Okay? Right. Now, watch this. Watch this. Same Christine. Mm -hmm. Same Steve. Same shovel. Same Saturday morning. Same hole. Same everything. Completely different beliefs. Completely different feelings. Our right. feelings about growing older aren't coming from growing older. They're coming from what we say about growing older. Mm, yeah. So when I began doing this, I really began in senior centers and older people. Mm -hmm. And I opened up their horizon. I said, you know what? Your feelings about yourself aren't coming from looking in the mirror. Are coming from all, they're coming from what you are saying about yourself. Mm -hmm. Let's replace, not change. Remember, we don't use the word change. Let's replace some of the messages you have been giving yourself about yourself as you grow older. Mm -hmm. Is it easy? Of course not, especially when you look in the mirror. And some of the negative stuff we've been saying to ourselves our entire life. But here's the wonderful capacity of the brain. The brain loves to create new messages. And when you lock onto those new messages, those new messages become a part of who you are. So, Stephen, That's exciting. What, it, it's very exciting. And, and one of the things that... Um, your story talks to, and I know you, you discuss this a lot in your book, and that is how our, our beliefs, you know, the, the, our perception of self relate to, um, let's see, what was I going to say? They, it, it relates to per perception, right? Yes. And yes, how perception. we perceive things and how we, we think that we're perceiving what is true or truth <laughs> in general. And what does the science say about that? Well, we think that we're perceiving something that's always true. That's our perception. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. A lot of things that we say about ourselves are just simply not true. But we've been saying this all our life, and we absolutely believe that they are. We absolutely believe that they are. Let me share with you another story that is so very much effective. One of the heroes in my life is, and I forgot his name, but his, let's just give him a name because I don't have time to look it up. In 1986, he entered the first Australian marathon, which went from sitting in Melbourne, 885 kilometers, 545 miles. And the top runners in the world showed up for this marathon. Cliff Young, Cliff Young. So you can look it up. Cliff Young, Google him. And Cliff Young showed up in galoshes and muck boots. And all the reporters said, what in the world are you doing here? And he said, well, I've spent my life in the outback on my 2,000-acre farm chasing 2,000 head of sheep. 
I heard about this race. I thought that it would be fun. This is a five-day race. So I've run sheep for three. So Cliff Young entered this race. And what do you think happened? He beat them all. Top runners of the world. But listen to this. He beat them by a day and a half. Wow. <laughs> How did he do that? Well, Christine, when you run a race like this, you run for 18 hours and you sleep for six. Mm-hmm. Cliff didn't know that. He didn't know you were supposed to sleep. Uh-huh. So while all the other races were sleeping, he just kept on running using what is called now the Cliff Young Shuffle, which means he didn't raise his legs. They were parallel to the, to the cement. And that way he was able to run and run and run. Now, that's really inspirational. I don't share this with people to inspire them. The reason is because, and I think you already know this, Christine, inspiration lasts for maybe three days. And then we go back to the old ways because that's our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. That's where we feel safe. And we don't like new things. And this happens, especially as we get older. We want that comfort zone. I'm here not to be inspirational. I'm here to help you change the way you think. So let's talk about the next year. The next year, Cliff Young showed up, couldn't finish. Eight runners beat his record. And the year after that, the year after that, the year after that, they asked the runners, how did you train without sleeping? And they said, we looked at Cliff Young. If Cliff Young can do it, Mm. I can do it. Now, how does that relate to becoming older? And I mean, what you point out in your book and that's so evident from the story you're telling is that the belief was that you needed, like every runner needs to sleep a certain number of hours per day. And Cliff Young didn't have that belief. And so he showed that when you don't have that belief, when you shift the belief that you need to sleep every night, um, that you can run much faster. You can, so it it was like demonstrating that there's another way to think. Yeah. Another example is for up until 1954, nobody thought that the four minute mile could be run. Nobody thought it could be run. And finally, I can't remember who his name is, but he ran it. He broke the record of the four minute. Now, if you're a high school senior in track, you're expected to run the four minute mile and break it. Up to that point, they just felt it couldn't be done. Now everyone mm-hmm. does it. See, that's the way our brain works. And that's so wonderful about the fact, and I work with a lot of seniors, a lot of seniors. I share with them new ways of thinking. So every Monday I go into a very nice senior center and I'm surrounded by seniors and I go through my whole program. And the message that I give to them is this. Number one, your brain believes what you tell it, including the negative stuff. However, the brain can create new messages to give yourself. When you give them the new messages, your brain says, okay, I believe you. And then those new messages become a part of how we see ourselves and mainly how we feel about ourselves. So let me give you another story. 
When Mary and I were married, I woke up on the on the day after our wedding morning, and there Mary was laying in my bed, and I'd never had a beautiful woman laying in my bed before, and I went a little bit crazy, and I woke her up at five o'clock in the morning, big mistake, and I said to her, you are so beautiful, and she opened up one eye, and she said, Steve, it is five o'clock in the morning. I am not beautiful at five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And she said that, Christine, for the next 10 years, even during the days. I'm right. so glad you think so. Love is blind. Da, da, da. Finally, one Saturday morning, she was waking up. I learned don't wake her up. So I waited till she woke up. And I said to her, this is 10 years after we were married. I said to her, my prayer is that someday you see how beautiful you really are. And she looked at me for the longest time and she said, you know what? We've been married for 10 years and you've never lied to me, ever. And yet every single time I tell you I'm not beautiful, I'm calling you a liar. Yeah. Why would I want to do that? So Steve, thank you. That's what I'm locking on to. Mm -hmm. That I am a truly beautiful person and here's what happens the more she locked on to that the stronger she felt it mm. the stronger the belief became there is still a self-image of not being very pretty i know it because sometimes she feels that way but mm. when she feels that way she says no 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 I'm locking on to being really pretty. Right. And that was 40 years ago. Our wedding anniversary was last, our 50th was last Sunday. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And the point that I want to make is that she feels really good about herself. Let me share with you another story. In 19, okay. 2000, oh, I'm sorry. Before we go any further, I just yes. want to make sure our listeners know uh, what your website is because oh. we're... We're going to run out of time here in a couple minutes. Okay. Stephen R. Campbell.com. Stephen R. Campbell. And my book is Making Your Mind Magnificent. And that's on Amazon. So you can buy it okay. on Amazon. And I it's Stephen with a V. Seminar. Yeah. V with a V. Yeah. I also yeah. have an all day seminar, which I have given, which my daughter taped. And if you're interested in that, contact me at Stephen C. S T E V E N C at sbcglobal.net and I'll give you a $200 discount. So it's usually $297. I've lowered it to $49. So Stephen C at sbcglobal.net period. Great. Okay. So um, actually uh, I've got a, a couple of announcements at the end here. So in a minute or less, do you have a final message for our viewers and listeners? Yes. I will. In 2018, I discovered I had cancer, cataracts, diabetes, and open and uh, advanced heart disease. For the cancer, they took out the top of my skull and I'm cancer free. For the diabetes, I replaced my lifestyle. I've lost 30 pounds. For the cataracts, they replaced the lenses and now I don't need my glasses anymore. And for the heart, they I did open heart surgery in the beginning of 2019 and my heart is better than anything. The point that I want to make with my listeners, my feelings 
didn't come from the cancer or the cataracts. They came from what I was saying about the cancer and the cataracts. Mm. Your feelings aren't coming from being older. Right. They're coming from what you are saying to yourself about being older. The wonderful thing about that is that you can replace those feelings. And the brain says, okay, are those feelings true? Don't even care. All I care about is what you tell me. Yeah. You this say is great. It, I believe it. Um, I want to mention the title of your book again, Making Your Mind Magnificent. Thank Stephen, you. thank you for joining us here today. And thank you for creating a roadmap for Chris, us. You're welcome. Yeah. You're so Just much. want to want to talk about a couple other things. Um the Academy of Divine Knowledge, I've got another program that just launched a couple of days ago. If you go to the homepage of my website, christineupchurch.com, and click on the image with the Academy of Divine Knowledge, you can check it out, um, and you can register to be you know, there for a month and have access to all the amazing teachers there. Also, yesterday, uh, the first part of my interview on Creatives Chat aired on Facebook Live. They've got it on their YouTube channel now, too, I believe, but you can find it on Facebook, Creatives Chat. Um, and uh, anyway, again, Stephen, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate and it. And, you know, I hope everybody who is in the United States who uh, feels patriotic enjoys their holiday celebration. And um, ha happy holidays to you and enjoy you your grandkids I from will. Ireland. I will. We are. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.